Chapter Ten of Traylin by Max Brand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Chapter Ten, A Bit of Stalking. It seemed as if the peaceful afternoons of Logan were ended forever. For the next day, the scene of interruption was repeated under almost identical circumstances, save that the tree under which the shepherds sat was a little larger. Larger also was the man who rode over the brow of the hill to the east. The most durable cattle pony would have staggered under the bulk of that rider, and therefore he rode a great patient-eyed bay, with shoulders worthy of shoving against a work collar. But the neck tapered down small behind a short head, and the legs, for all their breadth at shoulder and hip, slipped away to small hooves and ankles which sloped sharply to the rear, the sure sign of a fine saddle horse. Yet the strong horse was winded by the burden he bore a mighty figure, deep chested, ample shouldered, an ideal cavalier for the days when youths rode out in armor plate to seek adventures, and when men of fifty still lifted the lance to run a friendly course or two in the lists. At the sight of him, Logan so far bestirred himself to uncoil his long legs, rise, and stand with one shoulder propped against the tree. "'Evening, Mr. Drew,' he called. "'Hello, Logan. How's everything with you?' He would have ridden on, but at Logan's reply he checked his horse to a slow walk. "'Busy!' "'Lots of company lately, Mr. Drew.' "'Company?' "'Yes. There's a young fellow come along who says he wants to see you. He's over there by the creek now, fishing, I think. I told him I'd holler if I seen you, but I guess you wouldn't mind riding over that way yourself.' Drew brought his horse to a halt. "'What does he want of me?' "'Don't know. Something about wanting to hunt and fish on your streams here. Why didn't you tell him he was welcome to do what he liked?' Must be an Easterner, Logan. Wants to bunk in the old house, too. Seems sort of interested in it. That's so. What sort of fellow is he? All right. A bit talky. Green, but he rides damn well, and he smokes good tobacco. His hand automatically rose and touched his breast pocket. I'll go over to him, said Drew, and swung his horse to the left, but only to come again to a halt. He called over his shoulder. What sort of a looking fellow? "'Pretty keen, dark,' answered Logan, slipping down into his original position. "'Thin face, black eyes.' "'Ah, yes,' murmured Drew, and started at a trot for the creek. Once more he imitated the actions of Bard the day before, however, for no sooner had the trees screened him thoroughly from the eyes of Logan than he abandoned his direct course for the creek. He swung from the saddle with an ease surprising in a man of such age and bulk, and tossed the reins over the head of the horse. Then he commenced a cautious stalking through the woods, silent as an Indian, stealthy of foot, with eyes that glanced sharply in all directions. Once a twig snapped underfoot, and after that he remained motionless through a long moment, shrinking against the trunk of a tree, and scanning the forest anxiously in all directions. At length he ventured out again, grown doubly cautious. In this manner he worked his way up the course of the stream, always keeping the waters just within sight but never passing out on the banks where the walking would have been tenfold easier. 
so he came in sight of a figure far off through the trees. If he had been cautious before, he became now as still as night. Dropping to his hands and knees, or crouching almost as prone, he moved from the shadow of one tree to the next, now and then venturing a glance to make sure that he was pursuing the right course, until he maneuvered to a point of vantage which commanded a clear view of Bard. The latter was fishing with his back to Drew. Again and again he cast the fly out under an overhanging limb which shadowed a deep pool. The big gray man set his teeth and waited with the patience of a stalking beast of prey, or a cat which will sit half the day waiting for the mouse to show above the opening of its hole. Apparently there was a bite at length. The pole bent almost double, and the reel played back and forth rapidly as the fisher wore down his victim. Finally he came close to the edge of the stream, dipped his net into the water, and jerked it up at once, bearing a twisting, shining trout entrapped in the meshes. Swinging about as he did so, Drew caught his first full glimpse of Anthony's face, and knew him for the man who had ridden the wild horse at Madison Square Garden those weeks before. Perhaps it was astonishment that moved the big man. Surely it could not have been fear. Yet he knelt there behind the sheltering tree, gray-faced, wide, and blank of eye, as a man might look who dreamed and awoke to see his vision standing before him in full sunlit life. What his expression became then could not be said, for he buried his face in his hands, and his great body shook with a tremor. If this was not fear, it was something very like and very like a man in fear, he stole back among the trees as cautiously as he had made his approach. Resuming his horse, he rode straight for Logan. "'Couldn't find your young friend,' he said, along the creek. "'Why?' said Logan. "'I can reach him with a holler from here, I think. "'Never mind. Just tell him he's welcome to do what he pleases on the place, and he can bunk down at the house if he wants to. I'd like to know his name, though.' "'That's easy. Anthony Bard.' "'Ah!' said Drew slowly. Anthony Bard. That's it, nodded Logan, and fixed a curious eye upon the big gray rider. As if to escape from that inquiring scrutiny, Drew wheeled his horse and spurred a sharp gallop up the hill, leaving Logan frowning behind him. No stay overnight, muttered the shepherd. No fooling about that damn old shack of a house. What's wrong with Drew? He answered himself for all shepherds are forced by the bitter loneliness of their work to talk to themselves. That old boy's worried. Damned if he isn't. I'll keep an eye on this bard feller. And he loosened the revolver in its holster. He might have been even more concerned had he seen the redoubled speed with which Drew galloped as soon as the hilltop was between him and Logan. Straight on he pushed his horse, not exactly like one who fled, but rather more like one too busy with consuming thoughts to pay the slightest heed to the welfare of his mount. It was a spent horse on which he trotted late that night up to the big yawning door of his barn. "'Where's Nash?' he asked of the man who took his horse. "'Playing a game with the boys in the bunkhouse, sir.' So past the bunkhouse Drew went on his way to his dwelling, knocked, and threw open the door. Inside, a dozen men, seated at or standing around a table, looked up. Nash! Here! On the jump, Nash! I'm in a hurry. There rose a man of a build much prized in pugilistic circles. In those same circles, he would have been described as a fellow with a fighting face, and a heavy weight above the hips, and a light weight below. A handsome fellow, except that his eyes were a little too small, and his lips a trifle too thin. 
He rose now, in the midst of a general groan of dismay, and scooped up a considerable stack of gold, as well as several bright piles of silver. He was undoubtedly taking the glory of the game with him. "'Is this square?' growled one of the men, clenching a fist on the edge of the table. The sardonic smile hardened on the lips of Nash as he answered, "'Before you've been here much longer, Pete, you'll find out that about everything I do is square. Sorry to leave you, boys, before you're broke, but orders is orders.' "'But one more hand first, pleaded Pete. "'You poor fool,' snarled Nash. "'Do you think I'd take a chance on keeping him waiting?' The last of his winnings passed with a melodious jingle into his pockets, and he went hurriedly out of the bunkhouse and up to the main building. There he found Drew in the room, which the rancher used as an office, and stood at the door, hat in hand. "'Come in. Sit down,' said him. "'Been taking the money away from the boys again, Steve? I thought I talked with you about that a month ago.' "'It's this way, Mr. Drew,' explained Nash. With me, staying away from the cards is like a horse staying off his feed. Besides, I done the square thing by the lot of those shorthorns. What's that? I showed em my hand. Told them you were a professional gambler? Sure. I explained they didn't have no chance against me. And, of course, that made them throw every cent they had against you. Maybe. It can't go on, Nash. Look here, Mr. Drew. I told em that I wasn't a gambler, but just a gold digger. The big man could not restrain his smile, though it came like a shadow of mirth rather than the sunlight. After all, they might as well lose to you as to someone else. Sure, grinned Nash. It keeps it in the family, eh? But one of these days, Steve, crooked cards will be the end of you. I'm still pretty fast on the draw, Steve said sullenly. All right, that's your business. Now I want you to listen to some of mine. Real work? Your own line. That said Nash, with a smile of infinite meaning. Sounds like the dinner bell to me. Let her go, sir. End of chapter 10